Acts chapter 4. I want to talk to you about, um, it's got two title subjects. They're kind of intermixed. One of them is taking care of one another. The second one is managing the problems of money in a church. It's all together here in Acts chapters. We go verse by verse through the Bible. You're going to hit some important and necessary things to learn. And I've got a lot to say. I'm going to try to be short and brief, but, but follow me. There's going to be some good stuff. Uh, Acts chapter 4 in verse 32. Um, uh, ignore the 31 there. It should say 32. Christ, the Christians in Jerusalem had, as we learned, they had gotten heart and courage. They had a passion for, for Jesus Christ. There may be, there, some people have passion for sports. Some people have passion for cryptocurrency. <laughs> some people have passion about a lot of different things, but First century Christianity, which is our pattern, they had a passion for Jesus Christ. They were on the go. They were in motion. They were not just sitting around in their churches doing nothing. They were active. But there were problems. God's people are not immune from having problems. Never think I did. When I first got saved, I thought, now my problems are over. <laughs> I really believe that. I don't know why you picked that up. What happens is you come to church and see all these happy people and you think, oh, they have no problems at all. Is that true? Not at all. But you get that idea. So when I got saved, I thought all of my problems are behind me. Boy, that was not true. This group of more than 8,000 new believers in Jerusalem had been cut off just because they got saved, just because they changed religions. They had been cut off from being able to make money and pay bills. They were persecuted, hated, fired from their jobs. They were kicked out of their homes. There was no welfare. There were no social services, no entitlements for them to fall back on. They had nothing. Now you know why it's important to have freedom of religion so that people can change if they wish to without repercussions. Not always that been that way, and it's definitely not that way in most of the rest of the world. If you stop being a Muslim, you have a... You have a death uh, uh, sentence on your head. If you stop being most religions, that religion turns on you with great uh, threats. Here you see that they just they, they lost everything just to follow Christ. So this group of people, these Christians needed money. They had otherwise no way to feed their families. I'm sure the Pharisees sat back and went, there, there are those turncoats those misguided Christ followers. Let's see how they get on with this pressure. Let's see how they do. And you know what I find as I read my Bible? Christians who are truly saved don't mind the pressure. We actually blossom in pressure. So don't be afraid of it. Those Pharisees were delighted at how hard things were getting for those deserters from Judaism. And they counted the days when those Christians would come crawling back saying, we want to be normal again. How many of you have ever had somebody say, you're very abnormal now? But they didn't come back. In that first century church 2,000 years ago, no one lacked anything. Let's look in chapter 5. We're picking up in verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed. You want to be part of that group? The multitude of them that believed. You're not the only one. The multitude of them that believed were of one heart, I love it, and one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own. 
but they had all things common. Verse 33, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of Lord Jesus. They preached their heart out that Jesus was alive and great grace. There was no anger. There was no bitterness. There was grace was upon them all. Neither was any that any among them that, what's the next word? That lacked. They didn't have all that they wanted, but they never lacked what they needed. That no one lacked anything. Keep going. For as many as were possessors even of lands or houses, they sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and they laid them down at the apostles' feet, and the distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Now, even though they should have been poor and destitute, they always seem to have enough to keep going. I found that in my life. You know, it didn't cost me anything to get saved. It cost Christ everything. But for me to follow Jesus Christ, it really didn't cost me anything. Yeah, I lost some friends, but they weren't really friends anyway. They were only good time Charlies. And yeah, I kind of faced some persecution, and some hard times and things by friends and by coworkers and stuff. But I never, it never cost me anything, really. I've been the benefactor. I've been the, I've been blessed, as was just sung, ever since I got saved. And I've always had enough. I'm not, I'm not, I'm actually much more fuller than I was when I first got saved. I was a little scrawny, skinny runt when I got saved. 17 years old, my pastor laughed. He said, <clears throat> Brother Craig has to dance around in the shower to get wet. So I'm not lacking anything. Would you agree? You understand? So how were they able to keep going? <clears throat> now, <clears throat> go back a bit. And when Israel came out of Egypt, they were slaves, remember? They owned nothing, and yet God miraculously provided. First, the Egyptians handed them their jewelry. Remember that? <laughs> On their way out, here, take this. And as they went out, there was no farms. There was no McDonald's, Burger King. There was no... Thai food <laughs> along the side of the road. They're going through a desert, and God gave them manna every day, didn't he? He took care of his people. He always takes care of his people. Gave them water from a rock. One day, they're standing there, and all of a sudden, a, a cloud of quail, small bird, but big enough, a, a cloud of quail came flying over, and all they had to do was swat them down and then go and cook them. And they ate like kings. God took care of his people. But you come to the New Testament there, and when the New Testament start, church started, they again started with nothing, and there was no manna coming from the sky, no water from a rock. They had each other now. Think about that for a minute. They had family. And did you know, have you not realized, you know, it, it's kind of sad. 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds have no idea what they have when they have a family. Not until they're 30 or 40 do they start to wise up and go, I love my family. Isn't that sad? But Christians are the same. What did the Christians have? Manna wasn't coming down from the sky every morning for them to bake pancakes from. They had each other, which was just as valuable. Folks, uh, we will never lack we have the same hearts as this first century Christians that were dedicated to giving. You know, go to Acts. I'm sorry, Acts. Go to Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Luke 6 and verse 38. Hold your place here in Acts, but Luke 6, 38. Jesus promised in, in Luke 6, he says this. 
give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. What's he describing? You give a little bit. You give to meet somebody else's need. You go out of your way just to be a blessing to somebody. You're not trying to make a point. You're not trying to impress anybody. Just give. And the Bible says all of a sudden, you get more. And it's not just more. It's pressed down, shaken together, running over. It just can't be contained. That's the Christian way. God says, you know, when Christians just minister to one another, we never lack. See, well, we don't have any money. We have each other. And we have God who seems to supply. You reach in your pocket and you find, I didn't know I had that 20 in there. <laughs> in the other pocket, I didn't know there's a 50 in there. You never know how God is going to bless you. You just need to know God will always give you more than you thought you gave away. This morning, I want us to see how God forged this new group of Christians, this, this group of baby Christians into compassionate givers. And he also at the same time weeded out the hustlers and the liars from its midst. Because wherever there's money, there's a hustler somewhere around who's going to try to take it and try to manipulate it. And that happens all through religion. And it's not supposed to happen in Christianity. So let's start here back there in verse 32. Let's read 32 to 35 again and see something here. Acts 4, 32, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart, circle that word heart, and one soul, neither said in, any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses. They sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold, laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. As I say, the Christians seem to have a heart for giving, which implies they had a heart. <laughs> I've met Christians who I wondered if they had a heart. The heart of these new believers was no longer stingy, selfish, or hard. Something happened. You know what it is? It's a person. His name is Jesus. If you'll let Jesus Christ into your cold, hard, sinful, dark heart, he'll change it. That's salvation. Salvation is not putting on a, getting, getting to church and putting on a new, new set of shoes and a new suit of clothes and a new hairstyle. That's not Christianity. Christianity is a new heart. Amen. These people had a brand new heart. First John, you want to go to the right now, almost to the book of Revelation. They had a new heart since getting saved. First John chapter 3. You know, there's a couple of 316s in the Bible you should know about. One of them is John 316. There's also 1 John 316. Just before Revelation is 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Look at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. 1 John 3.16, hereby perceive we, this is how we tell the love of God is there. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. Is that not love? I've never, ever known anybody to do that other than Jesus Christ for me. I mean, I'm sure some of you like me, but would you give your life for me? Hereby perceive we, this is how we understand the love of God, that he lost his life so mine could be saved. And we ought, now look at the rest of the verse, and we ought to lay down our lives for who? For the brethren. 
for the family of God, verse 17. But here's the question. Whoso hath this world's good, you've got some money, you've got possessions, you've got things, and seeth his brother have need, and yet shutteth up his bowels of compassion, shuts down his emotions. How dwelleth the love of God in him? Isn't that a question? These Christians had a heart. All of a sudden, when there were great needs, everybody just started giving. There was just no hesitation. They had a new heart. They wanted to give away money. I read about over in Chicago during, during this last week, uh, you know, um, Americans have no idea what high price of petrol is, okay? They have no idea. You guys are going to learn. But, uh, uh, well, no, you're going over to the land of, they'll, they'll have the price. But anyway, um, this very wealthy guy said he gave like, like 200,000 American dollars so that people could queue up and get free petrol. So there were miles of cars of people coming in, taking and getting free petrol because this one guy was given away. He just had a, a desire to do that. That was, that was unusual. I mean, somebody say, listen, you want some petrol here? And he just gave it away. That's kind of, kind of interesting. It's kind of cool. He's in the wrong country. He should be over here, but whatever. But these people wanted to give away money. Nobody asked them to give. They just gave to meet the needs of the thousands of other believers and their families that were in need. And when there was no more money, think about it. You know, when you run out of money in your pocket or in your wallet, how quick would you be to sell your house? How quick would you be to sell the land that you're saving for your grandkids? But they started selling their property. They, they just gave and gave and gave. This was what we call compassionate giving. And they weren't just giving to, you know, their close friends. They were giving away to complete strangers who now were family. You know what a church is? When, when you get saved, you meet family you never knew you had. And they started to minister to one another like families are supposed to minister. Go to my, uh, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12 in verse 46. Matthew 12, 46. Jesus actually said every believer is a member of his family. Matthew 12, 46. <clears throat> While he, Jesus, yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without desiring to speak with him. So Jesus' own mother and his stepbrothers and sisters came. They wanted to talk to him about something we don't know, but they wanted to talk with him. Verse 47, one said unto him, behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto them that told him that, who is my mother and who are my brethren? He stretched forth his hands toward his disciples and said, behold, my mother and my brethren. For whomsoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and my mother. You're more important than Mary. You're important, more important than Joseph. You're in the family of God. Jesus says, don't worry about physical relationship that Jesus had being a child of the son of Mary and, and stepbrothers of these brothers and sisters. Worry about it being in the family of God because that's the only family that matters. Go to Matthew chapter, still in Matthew 23 and verse 8. Matthew 23 and verse 8. Matthew 23, 8. 
But be not called rabbi, which is a fancy word for great teacher. For one is your master. Even Christ, and ye are all what? You're all brethren. Don't worry about this hierarchy of bishop, archbishop, monsignor, canon. Where'd all that come from? Came from the world. You know what Jesus said? We're family. Only one person is in charge, and that's Jesus. So we're brethren, and family takes care of family. Amen. Family takes care of family. This was not the beginning of communism or socialism. This was all voluntary. Communism has never been voluntary. Ooh. This was all completely spontaneous. They just heard of a need, and out came the money. Uh, lands were sold. Possessions were sold. They brought it to church. They says, here, whoever has need, it's, it's not mine anymore. It's whoever is need. This was because Jesus came. If not understanding the, the great cost of Jesus Christ stepping out of perfect heaven into this sin-cursed world and giving everything, including his life. Here we are. We're the recipients of such gifts. How can we give less when there's a need among us? Christians had a heart for giving. So let's meet now a man who acts on this. One of, the, one of the men, his name was Joseph. Acts 4, verse 36. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which being interpreted the son of consolation. We'll learn what all that means in a moment. He was a Levite. And of the country of Cyprus, verse 37, having land, sold it brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, who was this guy, Joseph? His name is short for, for Joseph. We say Josie. That was his sort of short name, but it's another name for Joseph. But he became known by a more important name. He came, became known as Barnabas. Now, the fancy meaning is the son of consolation, but in, in simple words, they called him, there's that encouraging guy. There's that guy that just lifts you up and encourages you. He's such a blessing to be around. He's somebody that you would want to have as your best friend. He's a great exhorter, encourager, motivator, comforter. Now, he was, he was a Levite, but he was now a Jewish believer in Jesus. He was one of the 12 tribes of Israel, but now he belonged in the family of God. He's from Cyprus, which is an island, if, if you know the Mediterranean, over on the eastern side of the Mediterranean, northwest of, of Israel is a big island, uh, is Cyprus. There's been a lot of wars there between the Greeks and the Turks, but that's where he was from. And evidently, he had moved from being in Cyprus to Jerusalem because he wanted to be around Christians. He wanted to be where Christians were, didn't want to be on his own. So there he was, and he will become a great missionary alongside Paul. I have to say this. Paul was probably the greatest Christian who's ever lived. He did more for the gospel than anybody I've ever read. And he's motivated and encouraged so many people to get into the ministry. That's Paul. But Paul would not be who he was without a Barnabas. Barnabas kept Paul encouraged. Barnabas was there and helped Paul stay on track when everybody was even against him. Thank God for Barnabas's. Now, <clears throat> he saw the need of all the Christians around him, and instead of him letting other people give, I mean, he owned land. 
And he could have said, and he could say, I don't want to sell my land. But he said, no, I want, I, 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 I want to be a blessing. That was his heart. So he sold the land that he owned and he gave its worth to the apostles. That was no small thing. You know, you just don't sell land, okay? Especially the Irish. Irish and land, are, we're, they're, they're glued together. Because the land is the best investment you can ever make. I know they talk about cryptocurrency and stocks and bonds and all of these stupid things. None of that is as good as just investing in good old black dirt. Because that dirt always goes up in value, doesn't it? It may go down, but boy, does it go up. It's called real estate. And you don't just sell that. But he did. He did because there was a need. Because he said, it's not mine. It belongs to the Lord Jesus. And if the Lord wants it and if people need it, I'm giving it. That is an example we need because we're too stingy. We're very possessive. We love what we have and we always want more. But true Christianity gives. Barnabas was a good example. Well, we come and we meet a couple, chapter 5 and verse 1, named Ananias Sapphira. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, they sold a possession. Verse 2 says, and they kept back part of the price. They didn't keep back part of the money. I want you to understand what they did here. They kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Just stop there for a second. This husband and wife, they're just as saved as Barnabas is. They were converted Jews, saved by faith in Jesus alone. They weren't Catholic, weren't Baptist. They were no label at all. They were sinners who had come and decided that Jesus Christ is their only way out of, out of hell, the only way to be saved, and they trusted him. They're saved. They also saw the needs of the people around them, but they saw something happen with Barnabas that they wanted. They saw all the attention that Barnabas got when he gave so sacrificially. So they sold some land and they gave some of the money to the apostles. And everyone heard of the amount they gave. Be careful. Ever wondering, I wonder how much so-and-so gives to the church. That'll lead you down to trouble. Don't you worry about what anybody else gives. You worry about what you give. It's only you and God. I don't know what you give. I don't ever want to know what anybody gives. I worry about what I'm supposed to do. So everybody's now comparing themselves with Barnabas. You know who we were comparing ourselves with? Jesus. That's all I want to compare myself with. Now, the problem was this. They acted like they had given all. Say they had a piece of property and they sold that land for 10,000 euros. But they told the guy who bought it, don't tell anybody how much we paid. And then they came to Peter and James and John or whatever and said, oh, we sold it for, at a loss. We sold it for 6000 That's all we got. And we have nothing more. You see, what they did, remember when you were a kid and you'd say, oh, I'm telling the truth, but you're holding that, that cross finger. Oh, yeah, I, I came straight home from school. Remember doing that? That's exactly what Ananias Sapphira did. Oh, we gave it all. It's, it's all there. It's, 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 it's not ours anymore. And yet they got another 4000 I don't know how much they had, but they had money that they kept back. And Peter's going to deal with them in just a minute. 
But this is known by the whole church now. The church, evidently, they know how much Ananias Sapphira sold the property for, and they know that Ananias Sapphira are lying. You think that's a good thing for in a church to have people, especially when it comes to money, to be lying? You know what the principle is? They wanted the glory of being a giver instead of just being a giver. You know, some people, like the Pharisees, loved to make a lot of noise when they gave. They would come to a street corner and they would feel the urge to pray. So they would say, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to pray. Father, oh God. And they wanted the praise of men in their good works. And Jesus said they have their reward. When they would go into the temple and the rich people would come in, they would drop in a gold cup, cling, clang, 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 into that offering box. Somebody else would come and pour a lot of money in, and the sound was ringing out. And everybody would go, ooh, ah. And then an old widow woman came in, and she had two little smallest coins ever called mites. They weren't even worth a, a haypenny. She came in, and she dropped them, didn't make a noise at all. And Jesus said, she gave more than they all because she gave all she had. You see, that was the attitude, and that's hard to break from. And, and so Ananias Sapphira says, it won't matter. We'll just act like Barnabas. Barnabas sold everything. He's now poor just like everybody else. He's now going to have to rely on just simple things. He had the ability to be wealthy, and he chose poverty with the people of God. And here, we'll put on the same show, but we won't be poor. That's a, that's a fraud. That's why I don't like politicians making rules for us that they don't follow. Amen? If they make a rule, they need to live by the same rules and laws we live by. Amen. Because they don't care what we have to go through because they're always a level above. And that's not right. They're supposed to be ministers. They're supposed to be servants of us. If anybody should have to struggle like we do, they should too. How much more so in a Christian church? Calling of every Christian is to love, care for, serve one another. Jesus actually commanded us to. Our calling is to encourage one another. Be careful that we tear down one another. Be careful we're too harsh, critical. We're supposed to, uh, Galatians chapter 6 says, carry one another's burdens. Do it without fanfare. Do it without praise. Romans 12, 8 says, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Do it without fanfare. Just simply give. Don't go, oh, ladies and gentlemen, excuse me, can I have your attention? I'm about to put an offering in the box. Or do it with simplicity. Just go do it. Or don't do it. Do it with simplicity. Take your Bible. Go, go back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 2. Matthew 6 and verse 2. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, alms is another word for charity giving. When thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, 
as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have the reward. But when thou doest alms, when you give to somebody, when you give to church, when you give to anything, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. Isn't that a neat description? Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That thine alms may be in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. He's the only one that needs to see what you're doing when it comes to money and giving. So Peter, go back to Acts chapter 2, uh, Acts chapter 5 now. Peter confronts Ananias. He ha Folks, let me tell you. This thing is known. He has to confront sin. Listen to Peter here in verse 3 and 4. <clears throat> Acts 5, 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land as if you gave it all? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Didn't I'm going to ask all these questions in just a second. And why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Remember, they had a heart for giving. He had a heart for manipulating and using it to his advantage where he could be wealthy and act poor. Thou hast not light unto men, the end of verse 4, but unto God. Verse 5. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down, gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose and wound him up and carried him out. and I sure hope I don't ever have a church service like that. <laughs> oh, there goes Clive, 50 years old and dead. Somebody want to wind him up and go bury him? That'd be an awful downer. Amen? But Peter has to confront this sin. You know, people who take care of people's needs must be honest and trustworthy, accountable, and transparent. Would you agree with that? Christianity can never be comfortable with lying and corruption in our midst. We have enough of it in the four courts. We have enough of it in, in, our, in our government and in all of these different, even, even, even in the health system, there's so much corruption. There's so much abuse. And no wonder all the money they pour at it never works. But it should never be like that among us. The Holy Spirit had revealed to Peter that there was a hidden problem in the church that had to be dealt with. And Ananias was setting a bad example for that entire church. Barnabas was a good example, but all of a sudden somebody using that to manipulate. Christianity must maintain sincerity, honesty, and accountability. But you know, we're probably the only church in Cork. I don't know of any other church that actually has a church business meeting where we go through every penny that came in and where it all went every year. You know how we do that? Because I want to be accountable to you. We get our, our books are audited. We pay a fortune for all of our financial books to be audited so that we're accountable to the government. You say the government has no right. They do have the right. They've seen enough abuse by Christians and by churches. I, I don't blame them for wanting to know what are you doing with all that money you're taking from people. Amen. What people see in us matters, folks. There is no accountability in the Catholic Church. I mean, it was last time the Catholic Church gave a, a record of how much money came in and where it all went. It doesn't happen. No wonder governments and revenues and banks don't trust churches anymore. So no matter how boring we may seem as a church, 
I would rather be real than anything else. I want people to know those people are trustworthy. They're real. They're kind of messed up, but that's how they are. <laughs> that's us. Why? Why deal with this? Why did Peter have to deal with this? Because when sin is not dealt with, the Holy Spirit is quenched. It's like a wet blanket. It's like he's left outside the church. When we tolerate sin among ourselves in our home, in our hearts, when we start down that path, the Holy Spirit pulls back and we're on our own. You want to clog and block the blessings of God in our homes, our communities? Let anything happen in church and nobody worry about it. Don't want to offend anybody. No, there's sometimes you do need to offend. And stops the church from growing. So Peter comes along and he reveals something back there. I want you to see back in verse 3, he reveals that Satan can influence even a Christian. Verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? You know, Satan can influence your thinking, your reasoning, and your emotions. He can convince a Christian to believe Satan's lies. He can convince you to do whatever you want, to just ignore God. Did he not do that with Eve and Adam? Adam saw God. Adam, smartest man who's ever lived, knew God, walked with God, and yet Satan manipulated the whole thing and lied to Eve, convinced Adam that Eve was more important than God, and blew everything. Satan's good at it. Satan filled these two Christians Ananias and Sapphira filled their hearts with a lie. Do you know God's not concerned with money? God couldn't care about how much money you have or how much money you don't have. He cares whether you're a liar. Uh, my dad never was a spiritual man, but he was a wise man about a lot of things. And one of the things he taught me growing up is the only thing that the world cannot tolerate, and the only thing that he will not tolerate from his son is a lie. Amen. I was not worried about money. This is not about how much Ananias and Sapphira gave. It's not even about how much they kept back. It's the fact that they lied about it. Satan convinced them it was okay. I don't think Ananias and Sapphira thought that it was Satan whispering in their ear. I bet you don't either. When you start to rationalize your sin, when you start to justify yourself, when you justify your anger and your bitterness against another Christian or against your partner or against your family, when you justify sin, it's Satan going, yeah, 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 that's right. You're the right. They're wrong. Satan influences Christians. Second Corinthians, go to Second Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, look in verse 4. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4. Where does Satan work most of all? In your thoughts. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 starts off and says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not fleshly, they're not physical. But they are. Thank God we have weapons that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. A stronghold's a fortress in us. Watch it. Casting down imaginations. 
pulling them down, stomping on them. And every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, any pride in me that is against God and bringing to captivity, how many thoughts? Every thought to the obedience of Christ. Satanic influence starts here. Now, I know my heart's messed up, but my mind lets it. It's kind of like you have a, 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 a Rottweiler, a pit bull dog, and you decide to remove the leash from it. And you just let it run wild. And when your brain lets your heart run wild, that's because Satan convinced you it'll be okay. It'll be okay if you watch such and such. If you got on the internet and went to that site. If you went down to the gambling hall and, and uh, to uh, Patty Powers and you, you, you put that down, it'll be all right. Nobody needs to know. You can go buy that drink. You can just do that little bit of drugs. You can just hold on to that anger. It'll be okay. You better cast down everything that comes up that prides itself against what Christ has told you to do and throw it out the door. Go to chapter 11. Still in 2 Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Paul continues and says, but I fear, this is what I fear, lest by any means, and he will use any means at his disposal, says, as the serpent beguiled, tricked Eve through his subtlety. I'm worried that your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Go back down to verse 13. For such are false apostles, and there are false ones, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Oh, they put on a good show. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Folks, satanic influence, how does the devil show up in your life? It doesn't show up, you know, drooling. I want you today to die. He doesn't show up that way. He shows up as an angel. And not just any old angel. He'll show up as the most beautiful, perfect person in your life and will make perfect sense to you. But you have a Bible that you can compare to. No, that's not what Jesus wants. That's not what Jesus said. You're the devil. <laughs> Go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. This may be a revelation to you, but you've got to understand all that bitterness you're holding on to, Satan convinced you to hold on to it. Somebody say amen. Every time you feel comfortable looking at stuff on the internet with lust, Satan convinced you, you'll be okay. That was a lie, and he convinced you of that, and you say, well, I'm saved, yes. And the Satan can influence Christians. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he, whom he may devour. That means stand on guard. Don't just let him sneak up on you. Verse 9 says, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing what you believe, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren. They're in the world. Everybody's going through trouble, man. We should not be going through deception. John, I won't have you go there. John 8. Jesus says about the, the devil, he said he's a liar and he's the father of it. You know what that means? He's good at it. <laughs> you know the worst kind of liar? Is the one you can't tell if they're lying. And the devil's one of those. And Peter calls him out and he says, Ananias, Satan has filled thine heart with a lie. 
So verse 5, back there in Acts chapter 5 and verse 5. We, we read this, but I just want to finish here. 5.5 five says, Ananias hearing these words, and wow, can you imagine? It gutted him. He fell down and he gave up the ghost and great fear. I want you, we're going to talk about that for a minute. Came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose and wound him up and carried him out and buried him. Verse 6. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So Peter just asked. Uh, I probably don't have to go through these things. But just he asked that land that you sold. Was it yours? Yeah. Uh, you sold it freely, right? Nobody told you you have to go sell your land, right? Yeah. Well, when you sold it, the money was all yours still, wasn't it? Yeah. So why did you lie about the amount? Why did you just why didn't you just say, here, we sold our land. This is for the Lord. And we're going to why didn't you just be you? You don't have to be like Barnabas. Yes, Barnabas sold the land, gave it all. Just don't lie. You didn't lie just to men. You lied to God. At that moment, God exacted judgment on Ananias, and down he went. Wow. Three hours later, look at verse 7, 5, 7. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, she came in. So imagine coming to church and your husband's dead. Okay? She doesn't know anything. She came in, verse 8, and Peter whew, confronts hers and answers her and says, tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, yea, for so much. Now watch. Then Peter said to her, how is it that ye, both of you, you and your husband, have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Behold, and at that moment, you could hear feet coming back into church. They had just buried, <laughs> they had just buried Ananias. And in come these guys, and down goes the fire. Oh, we got to go bury this one now. Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then she, then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, found her dead. I would not have wanted to be those young men. And carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. Um. No guilty conscience? You say, well, I know when I'm sinning is when I have a guilty conscience. Really? Always? <whistles> Peter asked her to tell, uh, how much money did you give? She continued to lie, just like every politician who's ever been caught with a brown paper bag. Oh, I didn't know that was for me. <laughs> He's got money sticking out of the pockets. You know, when you're caught, you know, that's a good time to come clean. But it's hard, isn't it? Christian, let me tell you, she was caught and she could have said, yeah, we lied. But instead, she continued the lie. Peter asked why she and her husband are tempting. Now, this is a great word. She's not, they're not tempting God to sin. They're testing the awareness of God. They really believe that God didn't notice. You don't tempt God to prove, I saw you. Peter knows what's going to happen next. And he says, you know, the men are coming. They just buried your husband. They're going to bury you. So right in front of him and everybody else, she died. What a way to be remembered. Now, when you get to heaven, guess who you're going to meet? Ananias and Sapphira. 
But you know what we're going to remember about Ananias and Sapphira? They lied. What a, what a way to be remembered. This is, this is written in the Bible. They're real people. Wow. That's not a way I want to be remembered. The results, verse 11, keep going. We'll finish up here. And great fear came upon the church. Wouldn't that scare you? I don't want to go to that church. People die there. <laughs> and great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things, which is a good thing. Don't think, wow, well, uh, you know, all of a sudden it got in the newspapers. Some people who lied and, and, and about their Christianity, about their way of life, and about all the money that they claimed to give, and they really didn't give, and they were, they were living a lie, and they were frauds. That got on the newspaper? Well, good. Good. You know why? Because it brings proper fear into people's hearts. We need that again. This generation, probably the last two or three generations, grew up without any fear at all. No fear of God. No fear of mama. <laughs> no fear of anything. And so they're spoiled brats. And listen, folks, God won't let us get away with sin. Great fear came upon everyone. And that fear affected that whole church. It actually straightened them up. It was a good thing for that church. It also affected the lost. I already said, yeah. It also affected those who were watching them. Lost people watching us have greater respect for Christians when we deal with problems right and when things get out in the open. And they always say for that, transparency, amen. But we should have been transparent from the start. That's what Christians are supposed to be doing. Then God blessed that group of Christians again. Look in verse 12. By the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, just no man joined himself unto them, unto the apostles, but the people magnified them, honored them. And believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. Again, these are the days of the apostles. The apostles had the same power that Jesus had. They were healing. They were doing great miracles. But in that moment, a decision was made. Do we want the blessings of God or do we want to just let some sin slide? And Peter dealt with the sin and God started to bless again in a moment. In the Old Testament, you've got a man named Achan who in Joshua, coming into the promised land, they went after a little bitty town called Ai, and they lost. He had a massive army. He was, he was guaranteed to win. The Lord defeated him. You know how? Because there was sin back in Israel. There was a man who had stolen what belonged to God. His name was Achan, and his family was in on it. And Joshua had to go back and deal with Achan before God could give him the victory. That is throughout Scripture. You say, well, that's awfully harsh. Do you know it only happened once? Thank God it's not continually happening every time we lie. But it happened to straighten up Christians to go, you know, God can do that at any time. He doesn't do it very often. But I ought to take him serious. And then verse 16, it goes on. There came also, I already read this, but I, uh, oh, no, let's see. Yeah. Verse 16, there came also a multitude out of the cities round about in Jerusalem, bringing sick folks with them that were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were all, and they were healed. How many? Everyone. It was just such a day where there, there were things going on like so many miracles, 
and we need them today. I'm not a miracle worker. Not one person in this room can lay hands on anybody doing anything. But God is still capable of just entering into time and space and doing an impossible thing. And he does it. There's great unity. The apostles were revered and honored and magnified. Nobody says, oh, I'm an apostle. No, they knew God killed them. There were only 12 of them. Amen. So don't you hear somebody on the Internet going, I'm apostle so-and-so. Turn it off. They're liars. Souls were saved. They can't even count the number of people who are getting saved. All because sin was dealt with in that church. You know what the root of all evil is? Not having money. What is it? It's the love of money. Folks, we don't need anything but God. And we have all that we need when we have each other. You say, well, what if there are only 10 of you? That's all that we need. There is nothing more than God and us that we need. Shouldn't we be taking care of one another? Shouldn't we? I think the government has stepped in and taken too much for themselves. When somebody's hurting, we should meet a need. It should be natural. I'm not going to tell you, you, give that money to them. I'm never going to do that. Boy, there should be that. That If our heart is hard so that we don't have compassion for one another, how dwelleth the love of God in us? That's the question. Who's going to be Barnabas? Who's going to, when there's a need, you just do it because you want to be a blessing. Don't be an Ananias Sapphira. Whatever you do, don't be a faker or a showman or a charlatan. Don't look for anybody's praise or admiration. I try and I fail, but when somebody does something for church or in the ministry or help, I always try and go in and say thank you. But sometimes I forget. No, I want you to know this. I may forget, but God won't. And when you serve others and you serve people, you're going to be walked on. You're going to be forgotten about. You're going to be ignored. People aren't going to appreciate it. They're going to always think you could have done it better. Who knows? But you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for him. And as you're doing it, because you love the brethren, not because they're worthy, because you love them. Don't be Ananias Sapphires. Ask yourself this, because it's the most important question right now. Two questions I've got to ask you. One, are there satanic influences in your life? How could you ask that? No, very simply. Has Satan stopped you from using your heart? Has he made it so that you just, you come into church and you sit there, you never talk to anybody, you never find out how anybody is, you never care? Has Satan hardened your heart? Where's your compassion? You know that lying and pride and haughtiness is just as wicked as adultery, don't you? Mm. Is there any influence in your life that's just making you hold on to that anger and that bitterness and that wrath and that lust and that, I don't know, that aloofness? You never commit to anything that's good or godly. If you're tired of being influenced by Satan, and controlled by his lies, today's a good day to cry out to Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness of sin. It works, folks. You can take, well, you don't know what I went through. God knows. But he knows you're a sinner and you need to be saved. And he can take away all the hardness of your heart if you just believe he died 
to give you a new life. Stand with me and let's bow in prayer. In this quiet moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, two things you need to realize. This, this message was not about money, not about giving. It was about the heart. How's your heart? You see, if God has your heart, he's already got your wallet. <laughs> God's got your heart. He can, he, can, he can fix you. He can do anything marvelously with you. Will you give him your heart today? To say, Lord, my heart is hard. My wife knows my heart is hard. My kids know my heart is hard. My pastor knows my heart is hard. It's finally me catching up and realizing my heart is hard. I need to go before God right now, if you would. And just say, Lord, soften my heart. Give me that kind of heart that the Christians had in the first century. Give me a heart of compassion, of caring for people who are strangers to me, but are family. Start here with me. as we are with our heads bowed and eyes closed, would you look into your life and say, I don't know if I've even saved. I don't know if I'm born again. I come to church. I'm glad I'm here, but I don't know where I'd go if I died. Well, that's why Jesus died. So that you could know that you know that you know that heaven is your home. Not because of being good enough, not because of money you give, not because of understanding all of the ins and outs of the Bible. Just understanding one thing, that Jesus wants you and loved you and gave himself for you. If there was nobody else in this planet, he still would have come and died just for you. Don't let that death be wasted. You can cry out right now from your heart and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save a wretch like me. I'm no good. None of us are good. But God loved you and wants you. We ask him to save you, please. Father, I just lift these people up to you. I pray we take, boy, times like this, we go through the scripture, we look at the pattern of the New Testament Christians. We take it seriously that this is our pattern. This ought to speak to us right now. Lord, we want to preserve what we have. Never letting sin creep in and, and, and dull us and cool us off and stop the blessings of God. So thank you for the scripture this morning. Thank you that we, Lord, we, we learned a lot. Now we need to live it. In Jesus' name, amen.